Well, one of the ways in which we are fearfully and wonderfully made is that we have the ability to learn things and then call these things to mind when we need them. To remember. That word means literally to be mindful again. And when you remember, it's glorious. That's glorious. You remember where you left that thing you're looking for. Go right to it. You know where you're at. You can take what you know and apply it and make new connections and learn. You can grow. When you forget, it's a disaster. You don't know where anything is. You can't make any new connections. You also become uncertain and anxious. Did you do that thing that you were supposed to do, or have you left it undone? Am I safe, or am I in danger? I don't know. I can't remember. When you forget, you can't grow. You can't retain new information. Now, Peter, in this epistle, is concerned that his readers be able to remember, to call to mind what they already know so that they keep growing, they stay protected from lives, and they're ready when Jesus comes. And we're going to see how Peter even wants his readers to remember the future. So this is an overview. And when you do an overview, you want to talk about, like, who's the author, when it was written, who are the people that he's writing to. So who wrote Second Peter? The answer is Peter. Yes. Good, but you'll be surprised. There are people who say, no, Peter didn't write it. Because this book has kind of a tough history. It was set in the category of the disputed books, where the church wasn't decided, is this scripture? And part of it was the fact that it is so short and that it had a limited distribution. It wasn't until the fourth century that the church accepted this as scripture. Now, you know, that whole history of acceptance is interesting because it shows that the church was very careful and did not blindly accept scripture as scripture. There was a number of books that again, were disputed, and the church finally decided, nah, this isn't scripture. Because it came down to this question, what is scripture? The church was going through persecution, and the persecutors were making sure that they burned the scriptures. So the question is, what is the scriptures? What are we willing to give our lives for to protect and to guard? 
It's a process. But by the fourth century, this particular epistle was accepted, recognized to be scripture. To this day, there are people who say, no, it's a pious fraud. You ever heard that expression? Pious fraud. And this is supposedly someone writing under the identity of the Apostle Peter to make it look good and to give it a little extra authority. If he wrote under his own name, everybody would go, who's that? But writing under the identity of Peter, here's somebody supposedly wanting to encourage the church and you know, write things the way Peter would if he had written it. The only problem with a pious fraud is that it is a fraud and it's not pious because you don't have to lie in Jesus' name. And either the apostle Peter wrote it or he didn't. And if he didn't write it, then we should just throw it away. It's not scripture. We're not wasting time on things like Good Christian novels. They just make up a bunch of stuff. Now, there's lots of internal evidence that it is Peter writing. He calls himself Peter. And you notice in verse 1 there, he calls himself a bondservant first, apostle second. He's focusing on the fact that more than anything else, he is a servant of Jesus. Now, he says uh, in verse 14 of chapter 1, Jesus has made it clear to him that he's about to die. He's in touch with the risen Lord Jesus. He goes on to say that he was an eyewitness of the transfiguration of Jesus, that Jesus was with three of his disciples, Peter was one of them, and he was changed so that even his clothing was emitting light, and they saw Moses and Elijah with him. So he says, I was there, I saw that. He says in chapter 3, this is the, now the second epistle. So he's alluding to the fact that he is the author of the first one. And he also shows in chapter 3 that he knows the apostle Paul, and he's on good terms with him. So he's writing with authority, and he focuses on Jesus. And he, he continually calls him the Lord Jesus. Now, for Peter, Jesus is the Lord. And that's also Jesus' opinion. So Peter is really accurately representing Jesus here. And I accept that Peter wrote this. Now the Peter, uh, the people, that's to whom he is writing, are the same as in his first letter, because he says, I wrote to you, beloved, the first epistle. Same bunch of guys. 
So that means these are followers of Jesus in what is now known as modern-day Turkey. Asia Minor, Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Bithynia. Well, those places don't exist anymore, but they're all located in the landmass, modern-day Turkey. Now, the date of this epistle is estimated to be around the year from 64 to 66 AD, just before Peter's execution in Rome. And he knows that he is about to die. It's going to happen soon. Now, you think he would be anxious and worried. If you knew that you were going to die, would that upset you? And yet, he's not really super concerned about himself. You don't get a sense of, you know, I've just got to hang on just a little bit longer. He says, I'm more concerned for you. And his goal is to make his readers be able to stand for Jesus in their generation. But he's also aiming at the next generation and the next and the next, right on down to this generation. He wants us to stand until Jesus comes. Now, if I had to describe what this epistle is about in one word, I would use the word remember. Let's look how this comes up. Look in chapter 1, verse 9. Peter's talking about what the Christian character ought to be, what you should be receiving from Jesus. And he says in verse 9, For he who lacks these things is short-sighted, even to blindness, and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. And what Peter has written so far is to remind him, this is how it works, guys. It's possible to forget that you were cleansed from your old sins. And if you do forget, then you will be barren, unfruitful, short-sighted, and even blind. So in verse 12, Peter says, For this reason, I will not be negligent to remind you always of these things, though you know and are established in the present truth. He says, yeah, I know you know this stuff, but I'm going to remind you anyway. Verse 13, yes, I think it is right, as long as I'm in this tent, to stir you up by reminding you. Verse 15, he says, moreover, I will be careful to ensure that you always have a reminder of these things after my decease. He said, always remember, twice now. Now, in chapter 2, he goes on to remind his readers about God's judgment on angels who have sinned and God's judgment on the ancient world that he destroyed with a flood, and God's judgment on Sodom and Gomorrah. Remember these things, you guys? 
You've read this stuff before. You know about this. And he reminds them that God saved Noah. God saved Lot. And he knows how to save the righteous and judge the wicked. You guys know this. I'm just going to remind you about it anyway. And he wants his readers to remember that there are going to be false teachers who are going to try to deceive people and lead them astray. And he wants his readers to resist that. See, false teachers work best with believers who don't know their Bible very well. So when they come up and start teaching stuff, and stuff that appeals directly to your fleshly nature, health and wealth, whoa, who doesn't want to be healthy? Who doesn't want to be prosperous? Then you go, wow, this guy's cool. He's edgy. I'm going to follow him, right? Well, what they ought to be able to say is, Whoa, some of the stuff this guy's talking about is biblical, but some of this stuff is completely unbiblical. This guy's dangerous. So I'm going to keep my distance, and I'm not going to swallow the bait and bite the hook. This guy's a moron. So, chapter 2 is about remember your Bible and grow, or else you're not going to understand or discern when you hear false teaching. In chapter 3, verse 1, Peter says, I'm writing this second epistle. Remember the first one? So he's reminding that he wrote them another letter, and he hopes they still have it, and they haven't filed it in the round file And he says, I stir up your pure minds by way of reminder. Both of those letters are written so that when you read them, you go, oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> this is the two by four from heaven. <laughs> Remember? Verse 2, that you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior. Oh my gosh. He wants his readers to remember the Bible, the prophets, Jesus, and all the apostles. Verse 5. He's talking about mockers who willfully forget willfully forget. And you know what they're doing? They're bullying believers who hold on to the word of God to say, really? Really? You're looking for him to come back? Really? There's bullying going on. And Peter wants his readers to be able to stand their ground and go, yeah, you pinhead, and stick to their guns. You know, when you willfully forget what God has said, it's not going to go well with you. See you in a hundred years, you arrogant jerk. 
We'll see how you're laughing. In verse 6, Peter reminds his readers that God destroyed the earth with a flood. And eight people walked away from that. And he says, remember that the heavens are reserved for fire. Now, this hasn't happened yet. But the Bible says it's going to happen. And you know this beforehand. So he even wants you to remember the future that hasn't happened yet. But he wants you to know so that you can remember how you want to ask or how you want to live. And he says, watch out. Don't let anybody bully you or deceive you away from your steadfastness. You're being focused on Jesus and being ready for him when he comes. And so ultimately, you want to grow in the grace of the Lord and the knowledge of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's basically his application to all this. If you know this stuff, if you remember it, then what kind of a person should you be? Don't forget what kind of person you are. Don't lose the plot. All right. That's a lot of reminders, isn't it? I counted these up. Fourteen. Peter here is running a risk that public speakers always run, and that is being tedious and boring. Because you sit there and you say, huh? I know that. I know that. I know that. I know that. Duh. And I think, you know, it's time for me to tune out. What's for lunch? What's happening down here at my navel? Oh, look. Boring. I already heard this stuff before. Well, Peter is not going to bore us in this epistle, I promise you. Because Peter brings us face to face with barrenness, fruitlessness, losing the way, forgetting who you are and where you are, being corrupted. He's facing us with judgment, destruction, mud and vomit, elements melting with fervent heat. He's talking about the fabric of the universe coming apart. That's where we're headed. And if we forget our being cleaned from our sins, if we forget our faith, if we forget what God has said, we're going right into that. Now, we wouldn't do that, would we? Nah, we wouldn't do that. 
Well, it all depends. What's your attitude to Jesus? People hear the gospel, they know the gospel, but for some reason, they don't grip the gospel and not let go. It's kind of like, yeah, 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 yeah. Like kind of on, kind of off, kind of, yeah, I believe, but kind of like, do I have to? Like this attitude of, nah, I don't know how to describe that. That's the only sound effect I know. What is that thing where you kind of go, and we float like jellyfish to heaven? Hopefully the current goes in the right way, but boy, if it doesn't. uh, What sound does a jellyfish make? I'm off in my foley here. What is your attitude to Jesus? Are you gripping and not letting go? Or is Jesus a little bit on the boring side? The Bible is boring until you realize you're in trouble and you don't know what to do. And the Bible holds all the answers, but you can't find them. Now, here's another sad thing I've learned. The writers of the Bible actually anticipate the fact that we're going to forget. This is embarrassing and humbling, but it's true. For example... In 2 Timothy 2, verse 8, Paul says to Timothy, Remember that Jesus Christ of the seed of David was raised from the dead according to my gospel. Now, is that a duh or what? And he's writing to Timothy, who's a pastor. And he says, Remember that Jesus Christ of the seed of David was raised from the dead according to my gospel. And Timothy's reading that and going, (laughs) I followed you. I've been with you. I've heard you say this a bazillion times, man. And yet, Paul is writing it to him one more time. Remember. Do you know why he's writing that? Because pastors forget, don't they? You hear all the time about pastors who forget. They're the guys that get blown up all over the internet because they're acting like amnesiacs. And they forgot that they were cleansed from their old sins. See? And the truth is, everybody forgets. So, when we remember... It's glorious. And when we forget, it's a disaster. So here's what we're going to do with 2 Peter. We're going to decide, I am going to grip Jesus and remember. And I'm not going to ever come to a point in my life where I say, "Ah," whatever that sound effect is. 
Whatever sound a jellyfish makes as it floats away from heaven, because the current doesn't go to heaven. But instead, I'm going to lay hold of Jesus and not let go. That is my stance. I want to remember his word. I want to make what I've learned before active today. I want to remember the future. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that you are always mindful of us. You are always mindful of your covenant to perform it. You remember. And you built this into us, that we have this power to learn something and to recall it and to make it vital and active for today. And we pray today that we would remember. We would be people who say, I will remember. Because we do remember the future. It's about to happen. And we want to be ready. So please work in us, cleanse us, have mercy on us, and help us to walk with you today. And we ask, Lord, that you would bless our time of communion because here we can reorient ourselves and take stock and say, Lord, please bring me close. Please let there be no distance between you and me. And whatever distance there is, whatever blemish, whatever grievance, whatever sin, some upsetting thing. We don't want anything between you and us. So please forgive us our sins today and help us to confess to you and to be ready to share in the body and the blood of Jesus. Bless our time, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.